The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities that they represent. This program is intended for educational purposes. Radio Azim Premji University. Previously on the India Project. Episode one: The Princely States. This podcast will lay bare several new information about the crucial period when British was preparing to leave India. For the first time, we will meet several new characters. on the margins of history till now several new villains who are almost forgotten to history who all played very crucial role as indian dominion was about to be born in the august of 1947 this is a retelling of the most crucial years of the birth of indian republic if you look at the map of british india in may 1947 it has two shades one are the provinces that are directly ruled by the british and then there are the princely states which were indirectly ruled by the british through various treaties mountbatten finally agrees to set up a department which would be in soon called the states department to deal with princely states and these states department were to be managed by Indians and for the first time in centuries the Indian ruling class was going to deal with Indians and Indian officials people like Nehru were strongly against uh, ruling families or any individual uh, enjoying any special benefits and he was the most vocal of them because he believed that uh, all human beings are equal and that uh, nobody has the right to enjoy any special privileges episode 2 travancore sir cp has been aggressively planning the independence of travancore he has drawn up an american style constitution has been reaching out to countries and colonies from ceylon to japan to the uk for bilateral trade ties CP's argument was very uh, clear and uh, much in line with what people like the Nawab of Bhopal and others would make which is that if India were to be a united nation country Travancore would have joined but now that the subcontinent was being split into India and Pakistan on religious lines it would not be joining the divided India so it's 25th of uh, July In Delhi the Chamber of Princes last meeting is over by evening in Travancore CP is attacked and the young militant money has walked into history even as uh, CP and his ruler have given up on the dreams of an independent Travancore arrives a very interesting letter from yet another ruler who is dreaming of his own independence It's a uh, January twelfth, nineteen twenty-five. A very uh, beautiful woman and her male companion are driving from Kemp's Corner to Malabar Hill. 
A red car intercepted them and about half a dozen men with uh, pistols and knives jumped out from the car and began attacking the two. For Mumdas Begum, the beautiful woman in the car, this was yet another tragic twist in her life. As the attack was underway, a group of uh, Englishmen who were returning from a round of golf at the Willington Club uh, came by. They stopped and jumped out of the car. They saw three men dragging, uh, screaming and bleeding Mumtaz from her car into their vehicle. With, armed with their golf clubs, the Englishmen sprung to her rescue. They managed to get her into the back seat of their car. But Bavla was not so lucky. He died of gunshot wounds before receiving medical help. She has had a very cruel life and this attack and the ultimate murder of her male companion would have repercussions far beyond just in the Malabar Hill area and lead to Eshwandrao Holkar becoming the ruler of Indore. Hello, my name is Josie Joseph. Welcome to my podcast, The India Project. At the stroke of the midnight hour, when the world sleeps, India will awake to life and freedom. Episode 3, Indore. For that beautiful woman in the car, Mumdas Begum, this was yet another tragic twist in her life. She has had a very cruel life. She was brought into the Holkar court as a singing girl at the tender age of 11 or 12, but soon transitioned to become Maharaja Tukoji Rao Holkar's favorite mistress. Our court dancer. Tukoji gifted her family a bungalow on the palace grounds, showered her with jewels, and once she had modeled them, they were returned to the family treasury. He took her along for a trip to England, but when she gave birth to a daughter in Indore, the Maharaja paid off a nurse to kill the baby. It was a killing of her child, she said, that gave her the courage to escape from the Indoor Palace. With Mumdas in the car was her companion, the new lover, a businessman named Abdul Khadar Bavla, and they were building a new peaceful life. It was the start of a media circus, a high profile case, and the undoing of Tikoji Rao Holkar. The Maharaja's imprint was all over the murder. The Englishman witnesses, the golf players, they picked out the murderers from a lineup in Indore and they all turned out to be connected to the Holkar Darbar. According to eyewitness statements that emerged later, when Maharaja realized that Mumdas had escaped, he wept and raged and even got the Darbar to issue a warrant for her arrest for stealing. But Mumdas had moved on. But the ruler wouldn't let her build a new life and he was out for revenge. Even as the court found the attackers guilty, there was widespread uh, impression, largely in the media, that justice had not been fully done. The argument was that the mastermind of the crime was still sitting behind Lalbagh Palace's ornate gates and was ruling indoor. Public outrage and the incessant media coverage wouldn't stop. So does the denials from the palace. In a very unusual uh, uh, show of public pressure on the British Empire, a year after the murder, 
the British government finally decided to intervene and give the Maharaja a choice. He could either submit to an inquiry or abdicate. Tukoji wouldn't want to be hauled up to Bombay High Court or before any other inquiry commission. So he decided rather very reluctantly to abdicate. And that marked the end of the unhappy boarding days for his 17-year-old son Eshundrao away in England. Eshund was brought back from England to replace his father. And at his inauguration in 1926, Tukoji, who is still resentful and angry, marked his son's forehead with the customary tilak, took five steps backwards and then walked out. The son doesn't turn out to be a very responsible ruler either. For almost the first decade of his reign, he is mostly away from indoor. Whether studying in Oxford or later frequenting the salons of Europe with his stunning first wife, Sanyogida Bhai Holkar. They were married when he was just 16 and she was 10. In the 1930s, the Holkar couple become quite the darlings of the international press, often found in their glamorous outfits, relaxing in bathing suits or resplendent in fabulous jewellery, such as the famous diamonds known as indoor peers. So he was quite a colourful character, very much like most of our rulers of those days. See, Indore was a very uh, financially vibrant uh, princely state for a variety of reasons. One was obviously the opium trade was of huge profit to them. Uh, there was a relatively large industrialization that has happened and because of its uh, closeness to Bombay and other the rest of key commercial centers of India, Indore had been a very financially well-off princely state. For today, we must discuss this young new ruler, Eshwant Rao Holkar and his very childish efforts at securing freedom for Indore by very recalcitrant kiddish behavior and by aligning with the likes of Nawab of Bhopal and Sir C.P. of Travancore. Coming up on the other side of the break... It has been a great disappointment to me that I have not had the benefit of your counsel in the deliberations. On the 1st of August, Deshai has opened a new file. File number 11 bracket 24-PR-47 and marks it secret. I should have not only an Indian Prime Minister, but a Hindu one. हुई मुद्दत के गालिब मर गया पर याद आता है वो हर एक बात पे कहना कि यूं होता तो क्या होता It's been a while since Ghalib is dead and gone but we keep remembering his habit of saying at every turn what if this had happened what if things had turned out this way instead of that Hi my name is Amit Basole I teach economics at Azim Premji University This show though is not about economics it's about the poetry and the world of Mirza Ghalib what we are going to do in this show is explore Ghalib, the man, his times, and above all, his poetry. Ghalib really speaks to me, and I think he will probably speak to you too. So join me and find out. You Hota to Kya Hota, the world of Ghalib with Amit Pasole. Only on Radio Azim Premji University. 
thermometer blazes up to 112 degrees outside, water is sprayed upon the door curtain to keep the inner temperature down. So you know that on July 25th at 3:30 in the afternoon, the last meeting of the Chamber of Princes, which is also called Narendra Mandal, was held. Your Highnesses and gentlemen, Mountbatten would address the chamber for the first and the last time. Many rulers, diwans, and representatives of the states of India in this historic chamber of princes. It is my first and my last. And that's where he, the first draft of instrument of accession and standstill agreement, are discussed, circulated. And Mountbatten addresses all kinds of concerns that all the rulers have and the representatives have about their future. And the line that I have taken up about the states, there were two distinct problems that faced me. The first was how to transfer power to British India, and the second, how to fit the Indian states into the picture in a manner which would be fair and just to all concerned. And as we have seen, that some people are absent. Nawab of Bhopal, C. Sir C. P. of Travancore, absent. But one guy stands out by his absence, which was not expected, and that was Ishwarendra Holkar. So four days after the chamber meeting, uh, Mountbatten dispatches a letter to Holkar. It has been a great disappointment to me that I have not had the benefit of your counsel in the deliberations. here regarding the accession of states to the indian dominion and other important matters of common concern to british india and indian states inviting him to come to delhi at the earliest time is pressing and the problems demand urgent solution i hope therefore that your highness will avail yourself of the earliest opportunity of visiting delhi preferably before the end of this week as i may be away from august 3rd for two or three days the viceroy gives a letter to the gaikwad of baroda and the maharaja of kolapur who are both leading advocates for a united indian dominion baroda and kolapur rulers collect other maratha rulers such as the maharajas of gwalior dhar devas junior and the raja of sandur The six princes flew down on July 30th and landed in Indore airfield at 10:30 a.m. There was no warm welcome awaiting the rulers but only an empty palace. In the royal reception room of Manik Bagh, the modernist palace designed and built by a German architect for Ishwarendrao, only a life-size portrait of Holkar, not in his traditional headdress and jewels but sleek as a grey hound in a black and white western outfit was present the maharaja they were told had gone on a visit to the nawab of bhopal so they sent the prime minister of kolapur in their aircraft to bring the indore ruler back in bhopal the nawab wouldn't allow the kolapur prime minister to see the indore ruler for the next 4 hours the kolapur pm and the indore ruler carried on negotiations through messages sent with other people Finally, Indore ruler agreed to return to his state. By about 6 p.m., Holkar lands back and reaches his palace. Without any delay, he kicks out five of the rulers into the passage, allowing only Gaikwar to remain in meeting with him. Holkar is accompanied by his prime minister, a very unpopular British officer called Horton. Horton reads Viceroy's letter and uh, tells the ruler that 
it was a threat. Kekor vigorously denies it. Anyway, Holkar says that he can't go to Delhi because he has given his word to Bhopal not to do anything without him. So now the Maratha rulers are trying to get the permission of the Nawab of Bhopal to allow Indore to visit New Delhi. They spent almost the entire night trying to speak to the Nawab. And through the night they kept trying as the 31st uh, dawned, the Nawab was still out of reach. The six rulers finally gave up and they returned to Delhi on 31st. Four of them met Mountbatten and told them about their humiliation and the bizarre negotiations and the drama that went on. August 4th, like uh, most other days in that period, was filled with the anxieties of partition and promises of free India, even as these princely states were maneuvering their way to a possible future independent existence. Holkar lands up in Delhi to meet with Mountbatten. When did the Maharaja return to India? Mountbatten asks Holkar. He says, The 29th of July. Without any pause, Mountbatten retorts, Wouldn't 24th be a more truthful date? The Maharaja had to embarrassingly nod his head in agreement. So basically, Holkar was in India in time for the meeting of the Chamber of Princes, but like a child, he was hiding away from the meeting. There is hardly 10 days left for independence. And at the heart of this so-called Indian dominion is two large dark holes, Indore and Bhopal. So this meeting is happening. Mountbatten is advising, cajoling Holkar and all that. But parallelly, the state's department under VP Menon is beginning to draw out the final condos of how to deal with the recalcitrant rulers. Remember C.C. Deshai, the classmate of Subhash Chandra Bose from Cambridge? On the 1st of August, he has joined the State's Department as the additional secretary and number two to VP Menon. And in fact, in the files of State's Department, Deshai is a man who is making very detailed notes as VP Menon is dealing with larger issues. On the 1st of August, Deshai has opened a new file file number 11 bracket 24-PR slash 47 and marks it secret. So basically, uh, Desha is pointing out that uh, there would be two kinds of princely states. One, those which would sign the instrument of accession and the standstill agreement to join the Indian dominion on the three topics of defense, telecommunications and external affairs. And there would be a second set of states which he has listed out who would not be signing the instrument of accession and who would technically be independent. So he says that those ones who refuse to sign the instrument of accession and accede to the dominion, they should be treated differently and they should suffer disadvantage of their uh, rebellious stand. Deshai then uh, went on to list a series of punitive actions such as sanctions. And he suggests that it should begin with sanctions on Indore. And he also points out that it would be the best state to which to apply sanctions in the first instance. For a variety of reasons, one being that it is not on the main line between Bombay and Delhi. 
Second, it will not raise too much of a communal issue. And third is that uh, the economic life of Indore would be immediately affected by the application of sanctions than in the case of a Bhopal or Junagadh. He also details uh, several other steps such as stoppage of supply of arms and ammunitions. Mind you, the princely states had their own military, police and, and armed units which were being supplied by the British Empire. He suggests cutting off of postal, telegraphic and telephone communications, refusal of food supplies, uh, coal, petroleum, etc. And Deshai also suggests placing small contingents of troops at strategic locations near the non-acceding states to prevent uh, any uh, developments from going out of hand and also to give confidence to the ordinary people within those states that the dominion is there and would intervene. On the 8th of August, the State's Department actually gets evidence that Holker is sending telegrams and letters to other princes, telling them that he was making every effort to get the instrument of accession revised and he's telling the princes not to sign the instrument but to remain united in order to extract better terms from the dominion. We don't know how much the indoor rulers maneuvering with other princely states influence them, but within days of his communication to other princely states, we find a new set of rebellious rulers emerging. And we already know that on the 5th of August, uh, Holker has secretly reached out to CP, who was the Diwan of Travancore. It was a great shock to me personally, and I know I speak for the Nawab ruler of Bhopal, who happens to be in Delhi now, and who saw the Viceroy, and is again seeing him today when we learned that Travancore had decided to accede to the Indian Dominion. At first, I thought that you had agreed to a standstill agreement. The State's Department doesn't know, nor does Nehru or Patel. We know this now because we have access to all those documents from various sources. I do not know what it is. His and who delivers the Indoor ruler's invitation to CP, a special messenger sent by the Nawab of Bhopal. In that letter, Holkar tells CP that uh, he needs an eminent man who has a standing with other states and position in all of India and that CP has a great added advantage of being a Hindu. I should have not only an Indian Prime Minister, but a Hindu one. I beg of you, with all the emphasis at my command, not to turn down this very sincere offer on my part for you to become my Prime Minister without the due weight and consideration I feel it deserves. And that uh, whatever he needs is uh, available to him at his service. And Holker almost offers him a blank check. There is no immediate response from CP. And uh, as we know, this is not the only effort that Holker and Nawab of Bhopal putting out to secure their interest. Despite Mountbatten's pressures, the silence of CP and lack of response from other princely states. Despite all that, Indore still remains independent. We are just about a week away from August 15th. In Bhopal, 
the saga of south asia is boiling down to a kitchen sink drama in the nawab's household and we shall discuss that in the coming episode stay tuned to the india project that was episode 3 indoor make sure you check out the show notes where we share the show resources and acknowledgments and don't forget to subscribe or follow our channel for future episodes on the next episode when the young woman walked into the room her father uh, sat lonely showered in sweat he pulled out a revolver and pointed it at her i'm leaving soon for pakistan he said i want you to take over the affairs of the state radio azim premji university